Welcome to the Good Intent, Good Impact podcast, where every week we explore different concepts that help to dismantle white supremacy in American society. This week, we're focusing on the dichotomy of fault versus responsibility as it relates to whiteness. If you recall from the YouTube video, I use an analogy of a car accident to explain what the difference between fault and responsibility is. So to revisit that example, say that you are in a car accident and someone rear-ends you from behind. Now, it's not your fault that that person rear-ended you. However, it is your responsibility to get your car fixed. You have to do all the things that go along with getting your car back on the road, and that's definitely a hassle, but it's something that you know you have to take responsibility for doing. White privilege in society works in a very similar way and that we understand that you as an individual white person may not have owned slaves, you may not have signed the constitution that codified African-Americans as three-fifths of a person and so on and so forth. But those institutions that were built so long ago that were the framing of this country were designed to benefit people who look like you. And as a result of that, you need to take on the responsibility of dismantling those systems in your spheres of influence where you can. My other podcast and video that talks about white rage, white fragility, white complacency, and so on and so forth, goes over different examples of how white people resist this responsibility. And I encourage you to look at that video as well as listen to that podcast for a more in-depth discovery of what those things are and how they show up. But essentially, they center whiteness at the expense of black and brown people who are trying to ensure equity in the spaces in which they live and work. And so I want to spend some time tackling this dichotomy of fault versus responsibility and look at it from a lens of dealing with white people and their comfort and looking at three different spheres that we can think about this through. The first being our comfort zone, the second being our learning edges, and the third being the cliff. So first, as you might sound, the comfort zone is where you're happy. It's the place where you feel like you are able to engage in conversation, where you don't particularly feel challenged. You have a sense of how the conversation is going to go and you know what tools and skills you need to navigate those conversations, whatever they might be, not necessarily race related, but just in general. If it's a conversation on race and ethnicity, this tends to feel comfortable for white people talking about things like you know, diversity and inclusion and making sure we have enough people who are represented at the institution. Um, That often leads to a hiring conversation of we need to have more representation, so let's do the work around hiring more people without doing the conversation around equity as to what type of environment you bring them into. I tell my clients that I work with all the time, even before you have that conversation about hiring and what your hiring process looks like, you need to have a conversation about what an equitable organization looks like. So as you bring in those people to your organization, they are truly welcomed um, and feel included and don't feel like they're tokenized, which essentially leads to the revolving door of people of color coming in and out and white management asking themselves the question, what are we doing wrong, right? Um, That tends to be where most white folks sit in their comfort zone and don't necessarily want to move into that conversation of what true non-performative equity looks like, which brings me to my next fear, which is learning edges. Um, So learning edges is the space where you have cognitive dissonance, 
where you are in discomfort, where something doesn't feel quite right to you. And for white people, when they enter into this space, this is usually where different forms of white privilege make themselves known in the form of white fragility, white tears, um, white rage, white complacency, and so on and so forth. This tends to happen so that people who identify as white are able to retreat back to their comfort zone and talking about things that they feel like they have control over and have a good grasp over, as opposed to letting themselves sit in that discomfort. And if we're going to do the work of racial equity, white people are going to have to get used to being in discomfort, to sitting in cognitive dissonance around what they say, what they do, their beliefs, the systems that they're a part of, the systems that they uphold on a daily basis, and how that impacts black and brown people around them. If white folks are not able to sit with this discomfort, we are not going to be able to progress as a society. And to those who identify as white who are listening to this, I want you to think about this from the perspective of a person such as myself, who identifies as a black person of color. I, in predominantly white spaces, am always uncomfortable. I am never feeling like I'm ever in my comfort zone. I never feel like I'm able to be safe. Just to exist and survive in these systems, I have to do code switching. For those who are not aware or familiar with that term, code switching is something that people of color, particularly black people do in predominantly white spaces so that we sound very similar to how I'm talking to you right now. If I were able to use American um, vernacular English that's specific to Black Americans, um, and I were to start speaking that language that I might speak with my relatives or my close Black friends, there are some of you who might say that that's quote unquote unprofessional. And so it would eliminate me from being in these spaces, even though my work ethic has not changed, even though my degrees are still the same and I still have all of those credentials, just the way I speak because it's not quote unquote white enough would eliminate me from being in those spaces. And so that's a discomfort and a cognitive dissonance that I as a black person have to sit with every single day. And so as you think about sitting in your learning edges and doing the work that you need to do, I encourage you to remember that um, and that that discomfort you're feeling is frankly momentary compared to the discomfort that black and brown people have to live with every single day when we walk outside of our homes and our comfort zones of those spaces. The last sphere that I want to talk about is the cliff, right? So we move from the comfort zone to learning edges to the cliff. The cliff is the place in which we have these conversations where we drive people and it's not productive, right? So I tell folks, if you're getting to the furthest point of your learning edges where you think you're about to go off a cliff and everybody knows what that feels like for themselves, whether it's a feeling of wanting to get up and scream and shout at somebody, whether it's wanting to completely remove yourself from the conversation and get up and leave because you're just that uncomfortable at that point. If you're at a cliff, you need to acknowledge that you're at a cliff and you need to be open in saying that and saying, you know, I'm trying to sit in my learning edges, but I feel like I'm being pushed to a cliff and I don't want to go over it because I want to remain in a space of engagement. I want to remain in the space of sitting with my discomfort, but I don't want to be pushed so far that I it's no longer productive 
for me and I don't feel like I want to engage in these conversations at all. And so as I work with white identifying people and not just white people, but people in general around a lot of different issues, I remind them that the cliff is your sign personally that you may need to take a moment, take a step back, do some self-reflecting and let folks know that I'm not running away from this conversation. I understand that I have to sit in my discomfort, but if I stay at this place any longer, it's not going to be productive to the conversation. And that's really where we want to make the differential distinction between being pushed in your learning edges and being uncomfortable and being at a cliff to the point where you can't go on anymore. You want to make that distinguishing factor of is my sitting in this space going to be productive and useful or is it not? If you find that you can sit in that space and it's hard, but it's still productive, you're still in a good place with your learning edges and you should maintain that and you should stay in that space. However, if you feel like you're at a cliff and that you're going to say something or do something that is going to be harmful, especially if it's going to be harmful to the black and brown people in the room, you need to be vocal about that and say that so you don't cause any more harm than is probably already being caused by the conversation that you are having. This is a good place to remind folks that your good intention is not enough. You need to be thinking about impact not just of your own personal words or actions, but the impact of systems that have historically marginalized black and brown people for centuries. If sitting in your learning edges is what needs to be done in order to dismantle those systems and create systems of equity for everybody, then you need to challenge yourself to do that and leave behind the need to feel comfortable as a white person because again, doing so is at the expense of black and brown people and their prosperity in our society. If you want to learn more about these topics, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast as well as the YouTube channel to get notifications on when new content becomes available that you can use at your organizations.